It's two o'clock. It's time when you hear the trippy music for Some Call Me Tim. The show here on Mutiny Radio, where I, your host, Pam Benjamin, interview a different person every week about what they believe in. And today we have special guest Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Pam. How you, how you doing? I'm great. You can get, you can get a little closer to the mic. Uh, hey, welcome to Some Call Me Tim, the podcast where we talk about what people believe in, whether it be God, gods, the economy, sidewalk politics, all kinds of things. What do you, what do you believe in? I usually start out this uh, interview by saying, Bob, do you believe in Jesus? Well, thanks for um, inviting me, Pam. Yeah, yeah, you bet. I believe in Jesus, yes. As as a as a religious icon, as a, a real dude, as a as a as a what do you believe that he was the son of God, that he was part of the whole Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and he's so a magical questions. being. Is he is <laughs> he truly is he truly the magical Christian being that we that we that some believe in? Well, I'm I'm not gonna say that I, I believe in the uh, sky friend Jesus version. Sky friend Jesus. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say I believe in that version. I believe in uh, there had to have been somebody that they made all those stories up about. Right. I'm sure that I'm sure you've heard that answer before. Sure, sure. I mean, there must have been. Yeah. Can we just do we just make up characters? I mean, what about like Siddhartha? Is he a real guy? Siddhartha. Yeah, he's the Buddhist guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I read that book a long time ago, like when I was Herman 13. Hess. Yeah, yeah, I was like 13. We had to read it. Public school, right? Yeah. Um, was he a real guy? I don't know. Was Herman Hess was a real guy? Yeah, that. yeah, he definitely was. Right. Well, I don't know much about him though. Right. I, I don't know. He wrote Catch Twenty Two, right? Is that the other one? You yeah, wrote? yeah. Oh, I read that one. That one's a good one. Did he write Catch Twenty Two? I don't know. Did he? I I don't know. I can't remember if it's him or I'm ter- I'm terrible. I should know more about literature. I don't know. I don't know a lot about literature. So, do you consider yourself a moral person? Yes, I believe I, I guide my life by a moral compass. And, and But it's not derived from any religious standpoint. Well, I grew up going to church, and from a really early age, I grew up in the Unitarian Church. Okay. And I went to a Roman Catholic church Ooh. to learn um, my parents' native language oh. at the Stations of the Cross. Okay. So... You know, like I, I was I, it Greek? Were they Greek? Greek or what is their? They, what was their they, language? They're, they're they're Eastern European. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So they're they're um, Roman Catholic, basically. Though. Gotcha. Yeah, and so so, you know that that's really a big deal in our house is like maintaining a moral compass, treating people the way you want to be treated. Gotcha. So you're a moral and ethical person, and it, you do you believe it came? From, if you wouldn't have had the religious upbringing, would you still have a moral compass? Or did you think it was seminal to the creation of the moral com- compass? Well, well, I had to be taught it. Okay. You know, and I've made a lot of choices that went against that moral compass throughout my life. But, you know. What's the worst thing you've ever done to another human being? I married her. Ah! You've been married? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For 10 years. Wow. Yeah. We were married down the street from here. Wow. Yeah. We had an apartment right down the street. So this is, uh, 
you know. You were married for 10 years? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, we were together for 10, married for eight and a half. Wow. Sure. And like quintessential Mono- monogamous, monogamous, monogamous San yes. Francisco relationship, monogamous. Sure. We moved all over the country. We, we moved here and back a couple times, you know. And the worst choice you made, the most evil thing you did to a person was marry them. No, I guess uh, you're making a joke. joke. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm the worst evil thing I did to someone. It's great if you can't think of anything. That's great. You, you know what? <laughs> you, you know what? On, on the on the evil and good spectrum, like true evil is so evil. I haven't even gone there. Like I've right. witnessed some really evil shit. You know, some uh, human slavery. Ooh. Yeah. You know. And to, you know, to tell my employer to go fuck themselves. Yeah. That's a good, that's a, you're, so you, you were, you were directly, that's okay. You were directly affected by slavery in your own job, in your own life. Yeah. I, 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 I'll tell you the story, um, the shorter version, you know, we, we went to this factory and, um, there was, there was um, material being loaded off a conveyor into the factory, uh-huh. and I was in there to make repairs to to equipment there. Uh-huh. And when I got in there, it was very hazardous to breathe. Ooh. Okay, and and people were working in there. People were working in a place which was hazardous. It was loaded with people. Wow. Okay? From the from the third world. Let's just say I, wow. there are Mexicans. Okay. Sure. And um, I called my boss and said, hey, man. And, and it was hard to find the place. It was so hard that I had to follow the guy down a road. And what made it really terrifying was that it was on public property. Oh, wow. Okay, so they were unloading from a freighter materials into a factory, processing the material, and loading it back on a conveyor right onto a freighter. Wow, and it was hazardous, and there were tons of people working there. The working conditions were very hazardous. There was submersed, um, high-voltage, three-phase electrical <laughs> pipes carrying, carrying power to 10, 20 million dollar machines. Wow. And the materials were running from the conveyor through one machine, getting processed through a second conveyor, another machine, and then a third hand processing um, phase, and then back out to the to the ship. Wow. Okay. And this, these were materials for skyscrapers. Uh-huh. Okay. And I called my employer. I said, hey, man, this is a fucked up situation. I need a respirator. And he goes, all right, talk to the shop foreman. So I told the shop foreman, hey, my boss, let's just say his name is Dave. Dave, cool. Dave says, talk to the shop foreman. Just hang out outside. I'm on my way with the respirator. So this guy laid out the whole thing to me, how... The Mexicans paid the coyotes to bring them up here. Whoa. How the factory owner paid to um, to house them, 
to, to have the, he paid the coyote also to bring them directly up here from the Southland. Right. Right to this spot. Okay. Creepy shit. Yeah. I mean, just, but, but it's shit you hear all the time, right? About human slavery, but this is here. Right. Well, and then they have to work so that they, they can't pay the coyote. So then they pay on the back end with the work. Whatever so the that, coyote this, brings I don't, them I don't to know, here. I don't know about their, how, how much more they're getting shit on by the people that smuggle them up here. You know, I feel like if you want to come up to this country and get up here and make some money and make something of yourself, you know, that's your right as a human being. Absolutely. You know? If you get busted and you get kicked out, fuck it. That's tough shit. That's gambling. That's life. Right, you know? right. You know, everyone wants to be here because... Because we get paid more, it's because it's awesome, because there's more is, economic this, opportunity. Right, right. You know, this is, this is, this is the reason... For generations, people have come here. The economic opportunity, right? Yeah. I mean, what, what, what? You take the money out of this place, and it's, it, it's a little fucked up, you know. You yeah. Mean, it's like being poor anywhere else on a lot of levels. Anyway, but still, you can get free food. But whatever. So these guys get shipped up here. They're housed right on the site. Yeah. Four to a bunk bed. Oh. This is a shop foreman telling me all this. This is the first time I've been out to this spot. Right. The owner of the factory is on site. <laughs> the guy who owns these. Hundred million dollar facility that's in a in a, a tin shack over here, right. built obviously without permits, obviously, obviously on public land, right down some like shady road. It was difficult to get down there. Yeah, you know what I mean. And he had dropped me off, which was unusual. I had parked at the shop, and he was like, I'm going to take you out here because it's all the way down here. It's a right. and, and our shop was here in the city. So, And we had worked at federal buildings, airports, all kinds of, you know, legit, sure. very high-end places, security clearances, badges. Got it? Right. I mean, you know. And this, this is when terrorism was super hot. This is right after they had bombed the... Uh, this the twin towers right 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 right, right. yeah so the, the anyway so the foreman lays me all out and i'm like looking at this hillbilly this <laughs> and i'm not saying it was flammable there was just a lot of D- dust debris whatever was going on a lot of particulate yeah. debris that if you inhale it it would turn your lungs to to blood right and i'm watching this guy just catch blood smoke. yay yeah <laughs> <laughs> right blood orgy yay <laughs> slave labor blood orgy yay <laughs> satan satan <laughs> look at me so anyway so he lays me out on the whole trip how they bring them up here how uh how they house them right like details like details so my boss shows up and uh he goes, uh, he goes, hey man, I forgot the respirator. Oh. I didn't have one in the truck after all. He goes, fuck this. This place is too dirty today. We'll come back when we get a respirator. Right. Let's go to the bar. So me being who I was at the time and my moral compass being definitely, you know, driven by having a good time. Sure. You know, I was like, fuck it. You know what I mean? That shit was weird. I obviously saw some shit I wish I'd never seen. And now this guy wants to go drink. So you know what? I'm about a foot taller than him. I'm not going to get myself into some jam. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I will fuck him up. I'm not parking behind the joint. And he parked behind the joint, you know? In a strip mall at this bar down in the suburbs. Sure. This scumbag dive bar. And you know what? I sat there and had a couple drinks. 
and he started talking and I was like, all right, well, I got to go home. I got to get out of here. Yeah. And when I was heading over that bridge, whichever bridge. Sure. This guy calls me and he's like, hey, man, you know, uh, why'd you dip out? We were, we were going to have a party at the club in your honor. I was like, man, I ain't joining your club. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, right? He goes, he goes, man, that's, you know, you're going to work there today and I was going to invite you, you know, we, we, we really want you to, to be a part of it. I was like, I didn't ask to join your fucking club. Right. I thought the rules are you got to ask. I was like, I have no interest in that shit. Yeah. I was like, he's like, well, I don't know why you left. You know, the bartender would have given you a blowjob for $10. Wow. What? Who are these people? That's crazy. I don't know. They're the people that own slave labor factories. Right. Here. And that's, and that's uh, human trafficking is a real thing. And it's evil as fuck. The, so on the thing. evil spectrum, I've never done anything like that. Right. You know? How? But then how do people who live that way and that's their income how did they justify it as well the okay? factory owner so i asked i asked him i was like so i asked the foreman i was like so the factory owner that guy you introduced me to at first what the fuck is he doing in this shithole and he goes what do you he goes what do you think oh you know like they were interested in me what? obviously they're you know i've done made these people wealthy sure you know I make people wealthy. I'm not some fucking scumbag repairman. Right, right, right. I'm going out there and you're billing me out at 180 bucks an hour. That's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. I'm well, and they're, they're it's, paying I'm not saying it's your... lawyer money. Right. But it'd be it's, it's honest it's honest lawyer money. Right. And and but they were trying to they were trying to woo you for your secrecy. They wanted they needed, you... they needed me to keep my mouth shut right. in order to keep making them as wealthy as they wanted themselves to be right At, regardless of the of the human cost i think that i think that you know they're just driven by greed so people can justify anything so do you think that the people who are driven by greed that they somehow s express to themselves that they're not bad people like that's the thing is do no you, no they, they um they don't feel remorse or, I, I i think that that's I, I um well I don't feel remorse. I don't feel remorse that I went there. I don't feel remorse that I got paid for that day. I don't feel remorse at keeping my mouth shut. Right. You know, because on that drive over the bridge after he asked me, um, why'd I leave? I could have gotten my dick sucked for ten bucks. <laughs> I told him I was like, hey, listen, buddy, that's why I'm fucking married. Right. Right. Because she sucks my dick whenever I want. <laughs> We're in fucking love. Yeah fuck you mind your own business about me and my dick and what goes down in my life right outside of making you fucking money none of your fucking business i don't have pleasure with you <laughs> there's no pleasure in associating with you and and your business associates it's not where we're at right. we don't have that kind of relationship you and me you know yeah the only thing that brings us together is the color green <laughs> you know what i mean and you ain't got enough to buy my soul right right and and that's it. And I and you know, I asked him, I was like, why is that guy sit there all day? And he's like, to watch his money. Why is the owner in there? He's like, he's got a half a billion dollars. Oh, that's crazy. I you can't know? even imagine that kind of money. You can't? No, that, I can't. That's like nothing. That's peanuts to those people. How much that's, that I've been in much wealthier people's homes. You, you and brought businesses. up you brought up the bartender who would suck your dick for ten bucks. What is the least amount of money that you would suck a dick for? 
I, I wouldn't suck you wouldn't. a dick. No, even I, I am not, 50 I'm, grand, you wouldn't do it? No. Really? See, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I've, I'd be I've, like, I've made that grand? kind of money in six months, you know? What's right. the big deal? Gotcha. I mean, I, I, I've, I've made $130,000 a year consistently for several years in a row. Nice. You know, so, so I understand. So you don't need any dick sucking money? <laughs> no, man. No, I yeah. just need women in my life. Gotcha. Yeah, there you go. I just, I was just wondering because it's a, that's a question I ask people sometimes. That's is why there, I stayed away from heroin. Way? You know, I felt like I knew people who were very straight when we were younger, right? And and after heroin, I I, I would see them in public, and they were gay for pay. And I was wow. like, wow, man, that wow. shit really changes you, right? You know, yeah. And that's not a moral compass thing. I think that's more of like a a need driven thing or whatever. You right? Know? Yeah. Heroin's maybe, hell of a drug. Is it? I don't know. I've done I've done fentanyl once and I didn't like it and I realized I'd never be a heroin Why did it addict. Make you sick? You made me really sick. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens the first time. I got I got really, I hated it. I was like, and it was great because I was married at the time too, and I I hadn't told. Oh, my, you were married. I was married. Yeah, I was married. Congratulations. I, thank you. I was. We were together for thirteen years. Married for seven. Oh. And uh, and so there was a weekend where his father died. My ex father in law died oh, of terrible sorry. liver cancer. It was it was an awful demise oh. and. Um, but he gave me all his drugs when he died. And so I had all these fentanyl patches. Yeah, sure, sure. And I was like, well, I'm going to try a fentanyl patch. So I scored it. So I only took 25 milligrams of the 75 and I put it on transdermally. And yeah. I, I was so high for like 36 hours and I hated it. I couldn't do oh, anything. Oh, it was awful. I was puking and I was trying. I just couldn't. I couldn't even. All I could do was lay around with my cat. I couldn't even focus on anything. It was sure. just awful. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's usually the first time. You know, but I didn't like it. That's the thing is, people know, say that the, they. But the next time, it's a well, lot I'll I didn't I didn't like it. So I said, and it was funny because after the weekend, I was like, but honey, look, I'll never be addicted to heroin. Look, look what we learned this weekend. What a great lesson. Sure, sure. So I'm, yeah, I had a, I had a couple of experiences where where um, we got good and loaded off opium, you know, in the '80s, man, and um, we were around a lot of Middle Eastern guys. When we were racing cars with these guys, and they would just have like their embassy kids, so they had whatever, everything sure. all the time. Yeah, you know, they could bring whatever they want in and out; it didn't matter. So, we would race, and and they wanted pot, and we wanted opium, so we would race for drugs. Oh, that's so funny! Oh, it was super cool, though. Yeah, right. I mean, they were and they were cool kids. They were super fun. You was know, this like um, beer? Was this like um, autocross racing, or was this like? Drag racing fast G on the street. Um, we had GTIs and we would do circuits. Oh, cause circuits! Yeah, the the, the the autocross. I love that stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Regular cars. You got to wear a helmet. Yeah, we would do, we would do. Um, Figure out we, your cones. Do your time we, trials. We would do, we would do three points. Three points. It was about like an eleven-minute race. Yeah. You know, that's cool. all you need. That's all you need, and, and hopefully, the police don't get you. you yeah, know? no police. And, and, you know, but you can legally do autocross in, like they'll they'll rent out like you know uh, what are they called. Uh, parking lots and stuff and they set up there's like groups of people that do it and oh, like sure. young asian guys they like they bring out their pandas honda you know yeah, <laughs> I, was I was racing a guy with the mahonda on sunset yesterday nice yeah i just the first turn you know heading heading uh east toward um 
you'd have like gone slow at the end of sunset. The guy was absolutely insane. I was like, man, I'm just not racing him through that curve. Yeah, that's that's it's well, it's, it's, it's safe, safety first. I um I got the opportunity when I was married. I won this Marlboro racing trip, so I actually got to go to Pikes Peak Raceway in Colorado. Oh, cool! And I learned how to drive stock. I drove a stock car alone. I was in there, and I was going 120 miles around at the oval turn because I looked down at the thing, and I'm like, I'm going 125 miles an hour yeah. as I'm turning. Yeah, that was cool. And then we did um, Van Diemen's, so they're like mini Formula Ones. And then we also did um, autocross racing with the both automatic and manual uh, Mustangs. And so when we, and I still have my helmet, it's really cool. So when we took that first turn. Souvenir helmet. Souvenir helmet, souvenir gloves, souvenir shoes. It was really cute. The whole deal. Do you have have a race suit too? Uh, They didn't give us the race suit. They kept it. Do you have one of your own now? No, I don't. The picture is from when. They gave me a little. Do you have the whole outfit still. You have the gloves and the. I have and the, the gloves and the helmet and the shoes, but the shoes are sort of falling I, apart. I can't believe you're not wearing them. All the I time. know they're so cool, but the shoes are sort of falling apart, and they're the coolest shoes. They're like these Simpson shoes, and <laughs> yeah, right. They're super cool. Yeah, yeah. But so I, cool. I got to drive. So this was the funny part: is we're all driving these Mustangs, and we thought that we were pushing pretty hard. And then you get after the third time, they sit in the driver's seat, these professional drivers. Yeah. And they're like, "Okay, watch what I do. You can do this too." And they were like, just gun it during the whole straightaway and just take your foot off the gas and take the turn. Just take it. Just take it and just just spin it. And they did this. They're like, watch me. And it was like, what? The car can, I can do this with your car? They're like, yeah, take advantage of this opportunity because you'll never be able to be in a car like this again where it's completely up to specs. Everything is perfect about it. And you can just fuck with it. They're like, they're going to change the tires tomorrow anyway. So have fun. And I was like, really? This is crazy. So after they take us all on the next run of everybody it was just like nuts hitting cones everywhere yeah. being Clearing fucking out. yeah and they and they'd say like if you're not hitting cones you're not trying hard enough okay <laughs> so how'd you how'd you do when you hit the curve i did really well i did exactly what they told me to they were did like did you hit cones no i just spun Figures. boom but then the problem was i hit the cones because i there was another turn out of it and i had to turn i had to correct right and i didn't hit it and so then i went like right through these i got that first turn and then i tried to hit the other one and i just did nothing it was bad it's fun out yeah it's it's, fun. it's 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 super fun racing around san francisco that's that's one of the great things about living here i i've gotten um i've gone through the hospital curve you know which curve that is the hospital curve the one that goes um the one that comes when you're coming from the Bay Bridge. Okay. And then it heads over, um, and, and you go up toward the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. Th- that that curve there that, that that takes you up um, towards towards um, Zeitgeist Discount. Right, 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 right. That right, curve's right, called right, right. Hospital Curve because there's so many people in the hospital, <laughs> right? So I've taken that curve. You know the one, right? Yeah. I've taken that one at 95. Wow. And and it's the same thing. You just got a motorcycle or car? In a car. Yeah. Oh, okay. In a car. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not in a motorcycle. Okay. No. Yeah, crazy stuff. But it was really fun, you know, and then I got pulled over. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> it was like 1230 at night. There was no one else. It was like a Tuesday night. And this motorcycle officer asked me, he's like, he's like, what are you doing? I, I said, I'm just having fun, man. He goes, that looked pretty fun, but you scared the shit out of the people next to you. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. It was um, $1,500 in tickets. Wow. So, the, the, you know, if I'd just gone to the track, wow. it probably would have cost me about 450 bucks. Wow, yeah. Right. Wow. But it's still fun. It wasn't <laughs> I needed to keep the license, though. So. Right, you have to pay the money to keep the license. You got to keep it. Well, and you need it because you have to drive around. It's just part of the whole. Right. How can you? How have can you fun get to... driving like a maniac 
um, if you don't have a license. Right. So you just got to keep paying. It's just got to. Have you ever gotten a DUI? No, never. Good. Great. Wow. Unusual. Uh, I'd much rather sleep it off. Yeah. I'd much rather get in the passenger seat, throw the keys somewhere in, yeah, where in the I back, can't find can't, them. Exactly. I lost my keys, man. I never locked the door, man. Right. Just in sleep. Sorry. In right. You know, I, I've had one cop make me get out of my car and go home and like lock up my car and be like, tough shit. <laughs> you know? No. But I always keep a key in the wallet. That's really smart. That's that's how you. Do it's it. really good. That, no, so that's the thing method, is Pam. not well. Have an exit strategy. Absolutely. That's what they taught me in DUI school. They're like, "How oh, are you not?" I got a DUI. You're, you're yeah, a I'm victim a, of the DUI. Yeah, I. I but it was really bad. It well, was it's good that you're fault. in an alcohol-free zone over here. Yes, absolutely. Your work. It's so nice and safe, isn't here. it? It really is. And uh, boy, I mean, alcohol is the devil. I feel like it's one of the most evil things. Well, it, speaking of The Simpsons, Homer said it best: alcohol is the cause and solution to all of life's problems. Absolutely. There's a great Bukowski quote too that he's like, I drink to celebrate, I drink to forget, I drink to, and it's like all of the, it's basically, I, you know, I drink to live. Right. But that was my man Bukowski, one of my favorite dirty men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I worked in a, in a, uh, a bar fly bar. Yeah. Yeah. That was another time I, I, Definitely had um, my first night there. I I had my moral compass challenged. Actually, yeah. The first night there, a woman came in and um, she didn't seem intoxicated. And um, I was living in the desert, really near like three Indian reservations. Sure. She, she was a woman off the res. Yeah. And uh, she didn't seem intoxicated at all. She had a Budweiser. Sat down at a table by herself ordered a second one and then at closing time she was nodded out uh-huh and we couldn't we couldn't wake her up you know we couldn't get her budged and so you know i'm counting out the bar this is my first night there i was 21 years old and it's all just like you know people from the reservation homeless people it was some hard living you know right, right. Not, not a wealthy place and yeah. uh My boss says, hey, you got to get her out of here. Right. Yeah. You're all counted out. You got to get her out of here. And I said, well, what are we going to do? He goes, Anthony calls a security guard in. Yeah. And uh, Anthony goes, what do you want us to do with her, Rick? And Rick was a little crazy. He goes, just carry her outside. <gasps> I said, man, it's, it's this is a rough part of town. Yeah. I yeah, mean, there's, this is very stabby over here, you know. <laughs> no, it was very stabby. It's a stabby part oh, of town. It was town. a very stabby part of town. <laughs> Many hobo bars. It, to, it was total skidderow. And yeah. I said, man, I can't do that. It's a woman. He goes, he goes, fucker, tough shit. I said, okay. So me and Anthony, we carry her outside. Yeah. Now you see why I'm using the uh, sure, yeah, alias. alias. Yeah. Anyway, we carry her outside, and I'm looking at her. And I go, I can't believe we're doing this shit. He goes, hey, she's the one that got all fucked up. And I'm like, okay, what do I know? It's these guys' bar. Sure. About half an hour later, we're drinking next door. We're all shut down. We're drinking at the main bar. We had three in one. And uh, they had a bum bar, uh, a theater, and a main bar. And uh, there's like six detectives cop cars everything out there you know 
an ambulance and they're trying to they're trying to revive her they're taking her out in the ambulance they're like man you overserved her i said shit man i served her two beers i mean this is long before there's cameras or any of that sure, nonsense sure sure you know and uh so she was wasted from before you just didn't know it who could tell, tell but could you tell. know we, we put her and dumped her on the street that's some kind of crime right sure yeah i know you can't do that i mean i i didn't know what the law was but i knew morally right that's a shitty thing to do right absolutely but as an employee it's not a shitty thing to do because you did what your boss told you you know and well, you know, whatever. I was 21. I didn't give a fuck. Well, what was, are you? But then in that situation, I was what is drinking your, over there too. Yeah, I, you but know? what's your responsibility to that person? Are you supposed to what? Find who they are and take them home? Call like, an ambulance. You, call an call ambulance. An ambulance. You That's can't your revive them. And but they didn't want the hassle. They didn't want right. the strike on the bars. Some sure, shit. Sure, sure, right? sure, sure, sure. So they're 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 looking at their back end, you know, and they feel like, hey, man. If she, so it turned out she'd just been released from a mental hospital, was on oh, some Thorazine or some crazy oh, shit. shit. She was a schizophrenic. Wow. Two beers or whatever, you know, her cocktail of, of psychoactives, you know? Yeah. But until then, I had like four tickets on me for about three weeks until the toxicology came back on her. Wow. And they revived her, but she was she had toxic shock. She had some kind of shock. Right. And they had to like keep her you know uh sedated like like an enforced coma or something for wow. like for like two days before they could bring her back because her blood i don't know whatever right 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 it was right, scary stuff for her sure but the the police and all that they came of their own volition nobody called 911 or some good so, samaritan so, called 911 yeah some stranger some i don't stranger. know if they were a good samaritan but just some passerby you know yeah just called it so and said, hey, right. there's a lady laying and, and there it was, unconscious. yeah and, and now you know in those situations, I'm the first person to like either try and help or seek assistance. Right. You know, there was, uh, th- this is a, there's a, a good friend from, uh, that I know from, uh, the, the Bender's bar and, uh, she's a really wonderful human being, but a couple months ago, I've heard she, there's some wonderful human beings. Yeah, there are, there's bar. a lot of great. So this particular person saw, a bunch of girls sitting outside of uh, Balançois, which is next to Doc's Clock, and saw the girls, and they were like crying on the ground in short skirts and like you know skimpy outfit shirts, crying and crying. And um, it was too. They're like the bar is closed and it's too late and she's drunk and the one girl's puking and she can't get up. So my friend actually got these girls into a cab, found out where one of their grandmas lived, called the grandma, took them home, waited outside till the grandma came down, until the grandma started yelling and that's when she knew she could leave because she knew the grandma came down to get the girls because <laughs> she heard the yelling. And oh, it was yeah. Like, yeah, but great. Who, like who does that? Who finds two girls on the street and goes, well, I'm sober and I see you and I'm going to help you. Like, I would have walked by those girls. I would have never gone through the trouble of going through their, the their DUI cell phone. Just, the DUI and the, just poisoned you. <laughs> I've got my, I got my own boozy problems, God, bitches. Yeah, I can't. But it's, you, you, you clubby drunk bitches. They're crying on the street. Oh, I never would have our, We lost our cell phones. I worked at a, I worked at a martini bar and it was a basement bar. And, uh, you know, I couldn't work inside the bar. They asked me to serve, but it was too claustrophobic. I, I'm afraid I would have just gone berserk. So they had me as a, a hostess up on the street, more or less. Sure. Meaning I wasn't allowed to rough anybody up. You know, I, you know, if there's a problem, call all the real fighters who are downstairs. But you know, I, I was I was great at the door. 
You know, yeah. I, I can I can handle myself, and, and I'm a pretty good talker. I, I can talk to billionaires or or crazy hobos. Yeah, I'm a fan of all kinds of human beings, or at least interested in talking to them. Sure. For whatever reason. And martini bio that that's that's hoity toity. That's expensive stuff. That's yeah. oh yeah, thirteen dollar oh, drinks. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. This place is famous for a pop rocks martini. Oh gross. Or a carrot cake martini. Oh wow. Or a chocolate something or other martini. I'm sure apple teeny. That's right, like that's right. bush league though. Yeah, anyway, I remember was, back in the late '90s when martinis were all the rage. It's probably where you went for your bachelorette party. <laughs> right. Or 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 your or your uh, your twenty. First birthday. Sure. Right. Yeah. Good. Because drink hard alcohol, that's really going to be great. Sugary hard alcohol is the, oh, best, it's the best to vomit up. It's oh, yeah. so nice. So there was a lot of that. There's a lot of vomiting. There's a lot of girls on, on um, skyscraper heels falling right. down the, you know, had the falling perfect, up had the the stairs, perfect number falling of stairs, down the stairs, 13 yeah. stairs. <laughs> you know, I, I, and, you know, they would fall and I would say something like, don't worry. I, I saw, I saw one of the guys from the Warriors go down those stairs. Don't be afraid. I was like, come on in. You know, I would make shit up like that to tell them so they didn't feel so ashamed of their drunken, shameful behavior. Right. Yeah. But, you know, we, we tried to help them. You know, we, we, we tried to help them and take all their fucking money. <laughs> and where's the moral compass on that? You're, you're pouring booze down suckers' throats. Right. But you're making sure they get into a cab. I mean, you're, you're poisoning their livers. Like, to... You know what? But they would keep coming back. They loved they, it. Yeah. So where's the moral compass? Yeah. I and, With all of it. Well, it's the same thing. Um, a bar that I used to fre- frequent on my street, uh, which is Geary, the Geary Club. Uh, I walk by there and they open at 6 a.m. every morning, right? Ah, uh, yeah. I so when you have, when, when I walk by and it's like nine in the morning and I know there's four people in there, I know they're all wasted because they've been there since six, but... If you're a 6 a.m. bartender, I mean, wow, it's true. Where is your moral compass? But it's like, I'm going to serve you booze because you want booze and because it's legal. So there you go. And I need go. a job. And I need a job, right. I've always wanted to be a bartender and no one has would ever be willing right, to hire me. I think me. at those places, at those kind of bars, everyone's thirsty. Yes. You're very, very... You rarely meet a 6 a.m. bartender that's not like partying by 9 a.m. anyway. It, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's why God, I've always wanted to be a bartender. But I even <sighs> tried to work. I tried to work at. I tried to work at Bender's, and I even wanted to work at before Counter Offer was there. They had another grill, and they were what hiring. Kind of work, what kind of work besides Jello wrestling? Right. Well, I wanted to be. I wanted to be behind the. I wanted to work on the grill with the guys back before it was Counter Offer. Okay. And um, it's when Johnny used to run it, and it was the Weird Fish guys and all this. And I said, oh, um, Weird Fish guys. And I was like, Hey, I'd really love to work what, here. What do you mean, Fish guys? Like they love the band Fish? No, they were they were called Weird Fish. It was up on oh. the corner, and they used to run the bar. They used to run the, the the food at Bender's. Right, gotcha, gotcha. And so I wanted to work with the. And Johnny was like, uh, n- "No, he's like, I never want to hire you because you're perfect just as you are." He's like, "You're a great back patio." He's like, "Just keep being yourself and talking to people and just being charming on the back patio." He's like, "That's how you can help Bender's." And I was like, "I really want to work here." And he's like, "No, no, we usually don't ever hire regulars, but." <laughs> It's like, okay, fine. I'm never going to get to work here. But I do get to do the sound every once in a while on a Saturday when someone else can't make it. I get to do that. That's cool. Well, you know, I I, I don't frequently um, work at the bars I drink at. Right. 
not supposed to do that, I guess. No, I, I haven't done that. It, you got to be careful. Right. It's well, very slow. And I also usually have never dated people from a place that I would drink, but Jonathan and I have been together for almost four years and we well, met on the back patio. Steady. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely happening. You're off the market. Where? Yep, that's absolutely true. Monogamy. Yeah, no, I'm so down with com- monogamy. Is, is, that, is that a moral decision to be monogamous or just is, is that just how you you grew up I, in, a, in a house that was like that? Your family is like that too? Yeah, my parents are still married. Uh, Mine too. And they, for, for, for almost reason. 50 or 47 years right. this year. Right. Um, my folks too, going on 50 years. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really impressive, but that's not why I, I think that I'm down with monogamy only because I would be too jealous to share him and it wouldn't be fair for it to be one-sided you know like I would say oh great I have the opportunity to sleep with whoever I want but then I'd be like well I don't want him sleeping with anybody else so therefore I don't want to sleep with anybody else because it would be unfair it's very confusing I think and I think like um, for me I'm just not um I'm just not wired to like keep that much shit going on in my life. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to care, care about care, caring than, about one yeah, person. It's hard enough. And two dogs. That's plenty. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's a lot. Yeah. And then, but then to think about, and I always thought about that too with the polyamory. Like, how? Yeah. Someone's got to be selfish in that, you know, because you can't like you know fully give of yourself and your emotions or whatever to everybody and why would you even want that or feel like you need that like you need that many people to think that you're special like one person isn't enough you need multiple people to I, I don't know I don't get it I like I, I, I've, I've been I've been in parts of my life where I've dated multiple women had multiple sex partners at the same time there's a lot of a lot of condom use going on yeah you know what I mean? A lot of showering all the time. You don't sure. want to smell like someone else like the next day. So you got to right. be really clean. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'm just a bit of a dirtbag. You know that I, yeah, you're too lazy. I'm, I'm, That's why you don't have multiple relationships. Is you're too busy to keep clean. That's funny. That's a funny reason. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm in very high demand for a lot of women, but I'm too lazy to like to like give it up for them. Right. That's I'm, funny. Maybe I'm too selfish with my time. Right. Because to I'm have not married anymore, right? No, I won't. I'll never get married again either. No way. Right. No, it was bad, and it was a really interesting form of you know sex slavery slash prostitution kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, he, I I didn't necessarily want to have sex with him, but I did all the time because he wanted it, and because he was the main breadwinner of the family, and so I always felt that. Did you guys have kids? No, thank God we didn't. Oh, have when any you kids. said family. No, we didn't. No, we didn't have. Thank God we didn't. I have scared kids. for your children. Right, I know exactly. Well, and that was one of the reasons why I eventually left him is that I knew I didn't want kids and I knew he wanted them, and huh. I didn't want to take that away from him. So he, right after I left him, like within three months, he was in a relationship, and then they got pregnant right away and had kids, and now they're married. And and, and so there's no hard feelings. No hard feelings. Nope. It was. A, he actually said that me leaving him was the best thing I either one of us could have ever done so yeah i was super happy when my wife left she was she was not happy with what was going on you know I and i was like hey listen you know what go ahead get on that greyhound bus it's a it's a long trip to the smoky mountains baby go right. ahead yeah you know 
but go ahead and do it, you know? And then three weeks later, she asked me if I was still drinking and fighting. I said, are you going to go come back and work full time and contribute? Or are you going <laughs> to just complain? And I'm going to keep hanging out at the bar. Right. And she wanted to do her own thing and not work hard. And I had to let it all go. Right. You know, it takes two. Well, absolutely. You know, and I, I think like it's hard to find people who are going to contribute on the same level as you. Right. And and definitely the kid thing. That's a great reason to, to split up. I mean, I just knew that it wasn't. And you would have been a great mom, though. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm a, I'm a really good nanny. But. Oh, are you really? I, I do. I, I, I'm a really great nanny for lots of children in this city. What, what about what about the guys at Benders? Don't a bunch of don't they have kids? They all just had nanny? babies. They all just it's funny, but I don't think they can afford me. I'm 20 bucks an hour. Really? Yeah. You could trade out. We could trade out absolutely. That would I would not have a problem with that. A that'd bar be pretty, tab. That'd for, be pretty great. Yeah. Prez gives you, me a bar tab for taking right. care of his I, darling I, I, child. Yeah, that's right. You yeah, have to that. buy me a couple rounds yeah. for an hour worth of babysitting. Exactly. I'll take your comp tab tonight. That's exactly what I would do. I think you ought to. I, I would propose. I would propose it to your pusher men. Yeah, absolutely. Or women's. Yeah, all of them. Whatever. However they want to ro- rock it, roll with it. Uh, but no, I, I I love kids. I just didn't want to have them. And I realized, and I wanted to go They're, to graduate kids school. Kids are super fun to be around. They can be. and I really like them. I, I feel like they're, they're, they're people who haven't been ruined. And they don't really have a moral compass. They, they right. don't have to worry about it. I think that children do, though. that's they're so fun to be around. Because they know when they're lying. And babies, three-year-olds will lie to you. If, if, they, are fa- if they are put in a corner where they don't. Where they, how old were you when fear. you first lied? When, when's, how uh, old were you the first time you told Well, I was, I was more of a fibber. Like, I told stories, like fictional stories that I'd make up. Those are lies. Right, except kind of. How old? Um, I remember one of the first times getting really caught in a big lie was when I was five. I thought that I stepped on some glass at school. And so I was convinced that I had glass in my foot and anyone who touched it, I'd scream. And my parents ended up taking me to the, to the Kaiser, to the hospital. And then they looked at my foot. They're like, there's nothing in her foot. And I was freaking out. I was like, I'd completely believed my own story to the point where I didn't let it go. And we went to the hospital and there was nothing wrong with me. So, mm. and, you were, and you were five or six? I was five. I was in kindergarten. You sound like you want some attention. Maybe. I just, I thought that I'd stepped on a piece of glass and I believed, I remember believing it all day and thinking it was in my foot and all this stuff and there was nothing. And why were the teachers letting me run around barefoot? It's funny because I thought I had a splinter in my foot this morning and I looked and looked and I couldn't find it. I was like, I just need a pedicure. This is probably just like my... <laughs> it's just upkeep on your own body. This <laughs> yeah, is just a just, weird toenail. Yeah, I'm just that, a dirty yeah. old man. I've yeah. got like these horrible calluses in the bottom of my feet or something. It's right. All, the skin has nowhere else to grow. It's just growing back inwards and torturing me. Yeah, terrible, terrible news. I'm a victim of my own sloth. <laughs> <laughs> One of the sins. One of the, One of the sins, sins, yes, is the sloth. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and I really hate those seven deadly sins because... Sloth is you're not such to, a bad thing. I, I mean, no, it, it isn't. If you're if you're like an overachiever and you're constantly working, like I have a problem chilling out, and I think a lot of it derives from the concept of trying not to be slothful, and so like, it's like, hard to like, relax like, like because you, I you're, you're you're driven to be productive, right? It's programmed in you, and you just can't exactly. You can't just let go of everything. It's really hard. Like yesterday, I 
pretty you much. Should try, you should try um, DMT. Oh, I hate DMT. I've done DMT. Uh, wh- wh- I don't like talking that? to the aliens. I don't want to talk to the aliens anymore. Wh- I don't like so, them. So tell me about your DMT experience. Was so it, was, was it was it in nature or was it? No, wh- it was in my friend's house, and I smoked it. Yeah. And a a big hit, and probably too much because I was like, oh, I'll take a big hit. I'm fine. That was a mistake. And then the aliens came. And I've never been so disassociated from reality, even when I've been on acid or shrooms or anything. I was, I was first. I, w- I was sitting in their living room, and then suddenly, I was sitting atop a children's play structure. Remember the ones that were dome shaped and they look like triangles all put together of metal. Yeah, like a geodesic dome. Right, except it was a metal one, like at a playground. And I I'm sitting on the top of it. Yeah. And all of these people are being sucked into the alien ship on on Technicolor like string all these strings are taking people people are flying up into this spaceship and i'm holding on to this geodesic dome thing and they're trying to take me and they're like and the aliens are telling me they're like hey pam everything you believe is untrue everything you believe is a con everything you believe is a construct it's not real the reality that you exist in is not truly real come with us on the ship look we're taking everybody else on the ship let's take you on the ship come with us on the ship and we'll show you and I was like I don't want to get on the ship and they're like no 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 no. get on the ship and so I'm like running did they look like us the aliens no they looked like I don't even know if I saw them or if I just heard their voices but I remember like an hearing their voices being like come with us everything's fine it's probably your friends saying Pam quit quit yeah. spinning around on the ground yeah, yeah. Everything, in the circle everything's fine everything's quit fine make, yeah quit right. spinning on the ground and naked. Freaking yeah, around. that's what was going on everything's probably, fine everything's fine just come with us sure. and I was like I'm not going right. so I'm, I'm holding on to this thing and I like feel my legs being drawn like I'm yeah. so and then I start like pushing against the technical technicolor string like it's a tsunami like it's a wave that I can somehow push against it and it's all going up to the ship and I'm pushing away from it and when I came to I was sitting on this couch and I was like oh I'm fine and they were like no no that wasn't that was you know we could kind of we they started filming me at the beginning but they ended up turning it off because they said that it would be that it was maybe some sort of defamation to my character or something they were like we don't think that we should record we feel they felt morally obligated to stop recording me on DMT. Okay, so and have you watched it? <laughs> no. You you haven't watched it. No, so, I didn't want to because they told me that I probably wouldn't have wanted to. Okay, so I had a radically different experience, and it was it was about twenty years ago, and it was in nature, and I had a friend who was is able to. Um, he knew some Indians in the desert, like guys off the reservation, and they showed him how to harvest it from one of the animals that Whoa. lived where they lived. And it was pretty close to the Mexican border in Arizona. And it's a neurotoxin. And, you know, I'm sure that I had a complete out-of-body experience where, you know, I recognized that I was still playing a drum. And I could hear the sound of my friend playing a didgeridoo. But there was just a wall of fire around me. The next time I opened my eyes... It was just a field of electricity, and I could hear myself playing the drum. And I could hear him playing the music, but it was just electricity. And when I came out of it, it was maybe like 20 minutes, yeah. 25, 30 minutes tops of a blank out, like total disassociation from my consciousness. Right. And those are kind of like the two main images I took with it, with me out of there. But it, um, 
after that, you know, I, I could never um, really experience LSD or mushrooms. It just didn't affect me anymore. Huh. Barely at all. Like, in and, you know, after two or three experiences of taking the same LSD that I had taken before, which was in a liquid form. Right. I don't know if it was truly LSD-25. I know people are pretty technical about the chemical composition and that it's not derived from the original rhyme old you know, from the 60s or whatever, the 50s, wherever they first pulled that culture. But after that, and it was a really clean acid that we were taking. Yeah. Where, you know, you had, we, had, we would have as lucid a conversation as we're having now, and you could drive a car, but as soon as you unfocused your concentration, everything would be dripping strawberries. Right, you know, right, 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 right. Scramble world. Sure. And, but we could still talk, you know, but everything around would be spinning like crazy. Right. And... After that, it had almost no effect on me. Huh. It, like, cured me of, like, that shit doesn't even affect me. Like, it's almost like I can put myself in that kind of mind state. Like, when you're saying you can't chill out, I mean, it's really easy for me to completely withdraw when I want to. All I have to do is go out in nature. Uh-huh. And, and it's gone. I could just sit there and try and... And figure out how many different types of green. Just, <laughs> I can really just sit there and stare at the <laughs> trees and look at the patterns, you know. And you, how many and different I'm, colors of green? Are I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, you know. If I yeah. if I'm hiking, if I'm hiking in it's a mossy area, I'll just yeah. sit there and count how many different types of green I see, and sure. that's it. It's, it's, cool. it's easy, you know. It's okay, little doggy. Sorry. About that. Uh, yeah, dog and God are in the same room right now. Uh, with the awesome warrior shirt on, the zero one for, for McGee. McGee, is he your hero? No, McAdoo's my favorite one. He's number twenty, but he never gets playtime, and uh, and it's a bummer. He's a big, he's a big tall guy. They've they've had why, him on is the he team. Slow or why, no, why he's great. Um, he's just he's not. I don't think he has enough playtime yet to be confident enough to hit the hit the important shots. He's really good at, at defense, though. He's a big, big guy. He's like he he's, shouldn't shoot out of the key. Like, right. When I when I played in high school, if I took a shot outside of the key, they pulled me right out. I'm, you're out. You're out. You're yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. They're like fat fuck out. Get out. Were of you there. A, you were a chunky child? Oh, you know, at one point in my life, I was over 300 pounds. What? Huge. Really? A big fat train wreck. Over 300. I can't imagine you. Oh, yeah. You at over. That's like twice the size you are. That's like it's like twice the size. Yeah, I'm about I'm about 205 now. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were like 160 or something. So big, no, bigger, just, a third bigger. I'm just in shape. Yeah, you were 300 pounds. Uh, yeah, I'm around, right around my fighting weight right now. I look good with a shirt on. That's. I mean, I'm not like ripped. Right. Smoke. So. But what did you do to lose the weight? I quit drinking a bottle of. Um, Hundred proof bourbon every day. Oh, that'll do I, it. I, I, th- I think seeing all the horrible shit, you know, and like being exposed to, to true evil, right? Like that. I think I got drunk for a long time. Right, you internalized it. And but I also think being drunk kind of let me, like, led me into that situation, like because it, you know, it made me at that point in my life. I think it made me um, kind of numb to the whole thing. Sure. You know? And, uh... How ma- so you were drinking, like, a hand... So we're talking, like, 750 milliliters a day? Yeah, I mean, it was good bourbon, you know? I made good money, so it was always Knob Creek or something Right, 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 right. Knob Creek probably, is good, it was yeah. Between a, you know, between a quart and a fifth. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Every day. I drank a lot of whiskey yeah. in my early 30s. 
but like well that that, that was the, I that mean, was, I yeah. mean yeah I, I knocked all that shit off in my late 30s right 37 was the cutoff. I kind of yeah I quit party and I hit the wall might have had some kind of minor stroke after a three week bender binge wow you know? so, yeah something happened behind the wheel and I had to like and you just put the brakes on you know you, when you stop drinking the, the hard alcohol every day you just the weight just melted off or did you start like working about, out I lost about 60 pounds in a year wow and then the economy crashed that was oh, around 07 so sure. the economy crashed 08 09 something like yeah it was about 09 and the economy crashed and um I was really broke Right. You know, and uh, there was no work. I was living in the Midwest. Ooh. You know, so I was lucky to make 300 bucks a week. Wow. You know, if I But in the Midwest, that's, you can live off that. Yeah, my rent was like, cheap and I never, yeah. you know, I had a landlord that, that, that I would exploit to the max. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was a loser. You'd be like, I'll no pay you next month. Him. I'll pay you when I pay you. Yeah, he only, he pretended he didn't speak English. I couldn't stand it. Ah. Uh. That's right. I speak fluent Spanish, so it was great. Oh, it's that's perfect for me. But you speak fluent Spanish too. Fluent that's enough. Exciting. Enough for the enough. street, you know. Right, 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 right. Bastante o comer y trabajar. That's uh, that, something about enough work. To, enough, enough to eat and work. Enough that's to about eat. It. Yeah. yeah. Right. Not much more. Yeah, I don't. Je parle français un peu. Oh, that's but, that's perfect nanny talk. Yeah. Right. Oh, I am. Yeah, I I do. I believe the children are our future. If you pay them me twenty hours to hang out with them. That's that's the. I really don't understand how moms do it. How they don't get paid to hang out with their children. What do you mean? Moms don't get paid to hang out with their children, even if it's and a labor you, of love. I, well, yeah, but you don't. They also don't get Social Security. So if you're a mom and you take care of your kids and like that's your full time job, there's no financial like security in it at all, unless you're in a really great monogamous relationship. There's no Social Security, so you your job is just completely not valued at all by our economy. Huh. It's just so funny because you you can pay. A nanny to take care of your kids, but you can't pay your wife to take care of your I kids. I mean, my, my mom and dad both always worked, you know what I yeah. mean? And, and they, they split the load. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, my mom was the primary breadwinner, so. Cool. Oh, what is the growling about? Oh, I think that was sighing. Oh, sighing. She's like, I'm bored. She's really old. Uh, yeah. So you, but you still have a good relationship with your parents. Oh, I love them very much. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I think my dad doesn't have much of a moral compass. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think he's the he he definitely uh, he's had a couple girlfriends and stuff, and let my mom find out. You know, wow, he's, he's not he's not a, a perfect human at all. I think he's done quite a bit of horse chasing, and he works for the federal government. You know, he's but not like, here's you know, the he's not a great guy. Here's the thing: he works in the military defense uh, industry. I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with prostitution because. I feel like, especially if you're married, it's better to not have an emotional relationship with someone. I would rather, when I was married, I would have rather my ex-husband go out and have sex with a professional who isn't going to be attached to him and isn't he isn't going to find attachment to than if he had some sort of like MySpace or Facebook girlfriend in so Manchester, you England. So are you saying you were more into the financial and like... The, the the security you got from that relationship I, than I the sexual stayed, relationship. I stayed in that marriage for the last two years. The first five were pretty good and then things sort of fa- started falling apart and I uh-huh. stayed the last two years because I was like, the money is so good. And I always felt the last six months were so hard for me because I was like, 
oh my gosh, am I going to give up this lifestyle? I'm going to give up the Lexus. I'm going to give up the house. The I'm Lexus, gonna give, yeah, so I used to drive funny. a Lexus. I'm going to give up the house. You know, know. What, you know what they call those in, in Japan? Toyotas. Yeah. So I had I had the nice car. I was terribly unhappy. I hated my job. I hated my life. I hated everything. Oh, I can't imagine that. And, and it was, but we were bougie and made lots of money and I just was so unhappy. And so... I, it was his business. You 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 weren't you weren't part of that business. No, he was a veterinarian, but I I made my own money. I mean, I I had a job. You had a job, um, okay. But I didn't make as much as he did because I wasn't a doctor. But um, it was a really really great lifestyle, and that was the hardest part about leaving the relationship was when I was like, I'm leaving this lifestyle. I'm going to be a poor person, and I I didn't take any of his money. I didn't take any alimony. I gave him the house and the divorce. I didn't take anything. Uh, well, just, you're entitled to 50 I was, but I didn't want to destroy his life. Because, because you pulled out. Because I pulled out. Yeah. You pulled out. Right. Because you didn't want him to finish inside of you. Well, and yeah. And because I didn't, I also didn't want, I knew I could have you always done it on my because own. because you wanted him to keep pulling out. Right. That's okay, though. Yeah. That's good. You, that's, a, you know, that that's... That shows your moral compass. That shows you're a very honorable person. Like I have a close family member who's in the middle of a divorce. It's it's and, hard. And the woman is is pouring two bottles of vodka down her neck every day. Oh. Full cirrhosis, and and she needs his health insurance to oh, stay alive. Right. Sure. And she is sitting there telling him, "I want to sell this house," and she's gonna die because right. the, the three hundred grand they're gonna get after the mortgage is all paid off. That's going to last her six months. Right, right. That's incredible that that money would go so quickly. <laughs> she, she won't let him keep the house out of spite. See, now, I didn't have... That he was the thing. I was no, for the no rest spite. Of her life. <gasps> the rest of her life, he'll, he won't ever get married again. Uh, permanent separation. If wow. he decides to have kids, he'll figure out another way, he said. Wow. But, what a generous person. And she's saying, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm pulling well, the plug. he wants to keep the million and a half dollar house. I mean, obviously. So. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if his ex was only as moral as you, oh, then it you would... are a really good person. I didn't well, realize thanks. you're that good of a person. I just didn't I, want to I, mess I, I with I knew you were a great person and really fun to hang out with, and, and, but I didn't realize that I was getting questioned about my morality by someone who truly has uh, a soul and a moral compass like that. That's amazing. Thanks. That's you, really you, sweet of you, you're, you're, I think you're the only woman that has that I've ever heard that didn't just totally rape um, a guy in a divorce. I didn't want to because he didn't deserve that. And so what I asked from him was whatever I put into the house. And the way I did it is that I waited until his veterinary school loans were done. And then I had him pay me. So he had been paying $500 a month towards, toward his veterinary loans. Right. So once those ended, then I had him pay me five hundred a month. So it didn't change his economy in so, any way. So, so all the money you put it towards the mortgage, and all the money, all the money I he put gave towards you your equity back in the house, exactly on a handshake deal. On a handshake it, deal, you guys didn't even put it in writing. Uh, no, it was in the divorce. I let him do all the stuff, and in the divorce, it said that we have our own deal for that. And we did it, and we finished it out, and he paid me $500 a month until that money was out. So I got to live here for God, a couple of years. I want to use him as my vet. Right, he's great. He's a good guy. Does he got a practice here? No, he's in San Diego. He's chief, would, he's, an, he's an ER doctor, though. He just does specifically emergency. He's a good guy. He's got two great girls now. He's remarried. Yeah, my um, ex-wife, too, she she wound up marrying a great guy, and they have a kid, and she she was 39. She never thought she could get pregnant. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was convinced. She uh, she, she had some pretty serious um, health issues, and uh, man, you know, she helped save this guy's kid. This guy's kid was going down in flames, six-year-old, oh. 
just couldn't couldn't wait to drink beer and listen to ACDC. Right, a six-year-old, that's crazy. Can you believe yeah, it? Yeah. Bad mommy. Oh. And she, she um, got the dad to, like, get the adoption through. And cool. And they had another kid, surprisingly. And, you know, we had a really good divorce, too. It was nice that we didn't own anything. There's, oh, right. If you don't own anything, it's great. It was awesome. Yeah, it's super it was, easy. It was, like, it, was like a, it was like one of the best breakups I've ever had, actually. Yeah, so you didn't even have to worry about the three CDs. Three years later, she came back and got all her stuff. Yeah. It was perfect. He let me also cherry pick because I, I used to work for Ethan Allen, so um, we had oh, a bunch I of like great that. furniture. Yeah. Yeah, we and I got to I got house. to cherry pick from all of the furniture in the house, but I knew how big I was moving into, and so I didn't really take that much because I just well, took what I needed. Well, if you ever move into a bigger place, I'm sure he'd let you grab some more. Maybe. It's been, but the thing is, we, you know, we've been apart now for 10 years. That was in 10 San years. Diego. Yeah, it was all in San Diego. Oh, okay. I, I, we owned houses and all that kind of stuff. I used to be a credentialed school teacher. Like, I used to be like a so, normal so when person. I, when, I, when I first met you, you had just gotten up here. Yes. Whoa, crazy. Yeah, I had just, I had just moved here and it was because of the DUI. So... I couldn't continue living in San Diego because right, I had a DUI. It's miles for everywhere. And even though I was a credentialed school teacher and I could have continued substitute teaching, it was impossible because I'd get a call, you know, at 5:30 in the morning, and they'd say, "Hey, get out to El Cajon," and there are no buses going from Claremont to El Cajon. It, if I did, it would take like two and a half hours. I don't even to know you're get talking there. about Mars to me. Claremont, right, it's El San Diego. Cajon. So, um, but there was if you're no. Right through there, it seems very spread out. Everything's and spread kind out. Of smoggy. It, and, yeah, well, it's and sa- San Diego Unified is a huge what's, what's district. What's going on with Escondido? That place. It's, like it's it was also part of, of San Diego Unified. Like Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Fallbrook, all that stuff up there. Like even in the In and Out, which I thought would be a safe place to like take a quick nap on my road trip, I was like, man, there's just like methy people crawling all around. Like yeah, cars absolutely. In and out. Sure. It was. Wow. There's certain parts of San Diego that are like very methy, um, but it's a huge, it's a huge district. So I couldn't, I couldn't get right. to work. I right, couldn't sure. work. Yeah. So I, ha- I mean, I had to move to San Francisco because I was like, I can live in a place with public transportation. So I. Yeah, it's, it's a walkable city. Yeah. And I, I moved here because I wanted to get into grad school, and I, and I did eventually, which was great, at San Francisco State. But the main reason I moved to San Francisco was public transportation, because I was like, I can it's actually. It's a very convenient city. Yeah. It's very convenient. It's very, it's a very um, provincial city like that. Like they're not, tr- you're not restricted to only cars here. Right. And cars even make it worse, because then you have to get parking tickets all the time, and it's the worst poor tax of all. Of is how it? many? It is such a poor tax. Every time when Jonathan got a ticket the other day, $71 parking ticket because I went to feed the meter know, at 11, 11.13 and the ticket was at 11.09. Hey, you know what the cop I'm told like, me? Four you minutes. Know what the, the, the cop told me, he's like, you know, there's an app that you can just fill, fill those things. Well, no, but the thing is you can only do it every two hours. So he'd actually paid from 9 to 11, but it expired and they went by at 11.09 and you can't re-up two hours. You have to go down and pay the meter. And then once you pay the meter, you yes. can get another two hours. Yes. But I just, I missed it by four minutes paying the meter and I and I felt so guilty because I was like I know it's not my car but uh. oh, now you owe your guy 70 I know bucks. I tried to give him $60 for it he's like no it was my fault I was sleeping I should have set an alarm yeah you know in, I remember when I lived here and on Oak Street they would just tow from 7 to 9 in the morning <sighs> every morning and yeah, my just... buddy got his car towed his work truck towed probably like 20 times yeah just right in a 3 year period 4 year period yeah, you're just fucked. It, it, it's you know as bad as it is, it always could be worse or different. That's that's like, true. You know, it's having a car is a great thing because you can always leave. 
Right. And, and I, I don't own much. I don't even, you know, really have, I'm, I'm couch camping for the most part right nice. now with my two dogs <laughs> and, and, and living on the mercy of uh, other sweet people. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, having the car is great. Yeah. <laughs> I love being able to just get somewhere and do something, you know. I mean, I, I love my boyfriend's car too, and it's it's unfortunate because I can't I can't drive at all. So last forever. Well, I don't have a license right now. Um, That's expensive process too. Right. I just well, it's it's the DUI's fallen off my record, so I could go get a license. But I just don't think as a as a responsible human being, I don't think it's a good idea for me to drive. I hear you. Because I will drink and drive because I have in the past and I would again. Yeah. Last week good. I was sober though. I was sober last week, just drinking water and hanging out, feeling good. Yeah. And it was terrible because. There was a night where Jonathan couldn't drive his car home, and I'm like, there's your car, and I'm sober, and I have no idea how to drive a car. Like, I have no... It would be more unsafe for me at this point to try to drive a car from the mission to the Tenderloin. Because you can't... Rem well, it's, because always, I it's always unsafe to drive from anywhere to the Tenderloin, first of all. Right. But I just we don't remember how to drive. Reason. It should be a sober reason. Right. And it was like, what's the point of trying to find and I can't parallel park and there's only parallel parking in the Tenderloin so it's like there's even if you never had to parallel park in San Diego right no no and if I did I just get out of the car and let someone else do it like I, I've never that's the thing is I never really even I never was a really good driver even oh. when I but what about on the racetrack that now see that was fun and if and I'm glad I had a license at that point and we weren't allowed to drink that whole week because we were, we were racing cars and it was part of their... The last night, that we partied like crazy people, but they wouldn't let us drink. The whole week? The whole week we were there. At night, you couldn't drink afterwards? Nope, nope. Whoa, weird. They, but they had great parties for us that were really fun with food and cool yeah. things, and we just yeah. we just weren't allowed to drink until the last night. Well, do you have any more questions about religion? Or, no, no, or, no. Or we're actually we're, we're, we're coming up to the end here. It's, it's almost right. been an hour. Do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners about morality, ethics... Anything. Um, you know what? Uh, everyone gets to make their own decisions. And um, just, I think on the evil scale, just don't take away other people's free will. Yeah, that's Nothing super worse fair. than murder and slavery. Right. It's true. But, you know, fuck war, fuck human slavery. Stay away. You're better off being poor and honest. Yeah. Well, and being, that's the problem with this city is it's, you can either be really, really poor or really, really rich. Anything in the middle is really, really hard. Being poor, like I'm super poor, so I have great I hear Medicaid. I get to go. Do you? I do. I'm on Medi Medicaid I or Medi-Cal. I'm but not it's, even going to bother. It's great because I get to go on Friday to go deal with my doctor, get all of my, my liver functions, kidney functions checked, get a pap smear. It's all free. I'm going to yeah, get my first important. mammogram. They're going to squish my boobies and oh. make sure I don't have any cancer because I'm 42 now and I guess that's when you start getting cancer. Do I you? don't know. I think you get cancer whenever you get cancer. Yeah, yeah, it's in the water. It's in the water. It's in the toothpaste. It's everywhere. It's in the fluoride. Yeah. You want that shit in you. Yeah, it's bad news. But uh, so Medi Medicaid and then I also have the food stamps so I get to eat and I get to yeah I'm not eating that much ah uh, it's hard trying to stay away from it trying to yeah trying to yeah just trying the new the, trying the new anorexia thing it looks yeah, good on you just 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 moderating you know right yeah sure moderating calories yeah that's right yeah good times well uh, we've been speaking with quote unquote Bob today 
nice here to meet on you folks. some Call Thanks, Me Tim. Pam. Thank you for being here. That was great. This has been a lot of fun. We are going to listen to some music in the interim uh, by Pervert Fervor. And then coming up at 3 30, uh, I have this guy is coming to interview me for this project or something. So we'll just do it live on the air for him. Um, but yay! Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank for you for me. being here. I Thanks appreciate it. People for listening to some Call Me Tim. Uh, please enjoy the weird beepity boop music for the next half hour until we'll be back with the second half of our interview. Thanks for listening to Mutiny Radio. Yay!
Call Me Tim listeners. We are back for the second part of Some Call Me Tim, where I'm actually going to be interviewed by Matthew Hughes. What is your project today that you're... Uh, Ian Williams. Ian Williams. Matthew Hughes is the other guy who's interviewing me soon. Sorry. There's all these people that want to interview me, and I keep confusing them. But uh, Ian... What's your project? For who? Is it a... My project is you. Oh, I know, but is it for school? <laughs> it is. It's it for is. school. I'm, a, I'm currently a journalism student at San Francisco State University. Um, and I did a story here earlier in the year on uh, Mutiny Radio in, in general and, and what you guys do here and what you provide the community. And yeah. your story certainly struck me. So cool. I thought it would be a good opportunity for a profile. And um, here we are. All right. And here we are. It's for school. Uh, so is this an undergraduate or a graduate program? This is an, an undergraduate program. Um, it's cool. a kind of a prerequisite to get you onto the newspaper. I've just been named city news editor, so cool. This will this will help me on my city way. City news editor. So, and what's their um, their newspaper is called the Golden Gate Express. The Golden Gate Express. Cool. Yeah. And it's available. It's not just available on the SFSU campus, right? Is it is it available at other? It's outlets? available online. Oh, uh, cool, cool. GoldenGateExpress.com. And uh, yeah, we do mostly, obviously, campus-oriented news, and we right. branch out to to the citywide news, which I'm trying to focus on as long as we can draw a string back to the students. Right. Cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Is it my turn to ask? Yeah, questions? yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, where's where, what's your hometown? I actually grew up in Danville, which is just uh, East Bay. So right on the on the foot of the beautiful Mount Diablo. Uh, that's where I I grew up. Uh, Eighteen years there. Eighteen years. Mm-hmm. And uh, how was that child? Marked by any significant events? Um, absolutely. Living uh, in a bourgeois world of rich people and not knowing it was very confusing as a child. I, I watched, you know, a lot of like 90210 and stuff. And it was funny because I felt like that was reality because my life so closely mirrored that because we had so much money. But I didn't know we were rich at all and I actually thought we were poor because everyone else was so much more rich like I got made fun of in ninth grade because I had jeans with zippers on them and they had an upside down triangle but they were palmettos and not guess and so I would be viciously made fun of because I was a poser and for my 16th birthday I got a brand new Hyundai scoop but everyone made fun of me because it wasn't a BMW or a Mustang like it was like poor little rich girl syndrome but I didn't know. I didn't know I was rich. I literally would like come home crying and be like, everyone has so much money. Why are we so poor? And it was ridiculous because we lived in this five bedroom house. I had my own bathroom. Like it was crazy. Okay. And yeah. so what made you move out to San Francisco? Um, I, and when was that? I moved to San Francisco when I was 32 because I um, left my husband in San Diego Um I had continued that wonderful bourgeois lifestyle with the, I used to drive a Lexus. Uh, and then, you know, it, being an authentic person doesn't always mean that you get to have a lot of money, I guess. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it was, there was a, there was a big leap there. So I, I, I grew up in Danville. I was a really, really rich person. I, my parents paid my way through undergraduate college, um, and then I got married, like you're supposed to do, or whatever. And then you know, owned houses and had jobs and did all that stuff. And um, just it wasn't, 
I was um, I was really just viciously unhappy and just but stupidly it was like it was such like a oh poor me my life isn't fulfilling you know like it was like Ugh. but I moved to San Francisco because I needed a a really big change and um, and I hate to attribute it so much to Burning Man but I went to Burning Man in 2003 2000 2002 2003 and then in 2007 I went again and that's kind of the reason I moved to San Francisco is all the there were people that I was I was there with a camp that was San Franciscan or whatever and they were like if you ever need to move to San Francisco you know give me a call give me an email and I got back to San Diego and I was like I think I need to move to San Francisco and so I just um contacted all those people and um this one guy said, hey, yeah, you can couch with me for a month, and and he helped me find a job, and um, all kinds of stuff. It was a really great individual. And then I ended up getting into graduate school at San Francisco State, so okay. that gave me a little bit more direction. Um, and then that's kind of it. So I've, I've only, this will be, this is my 10-year anniversary of being in this city. I moved here in October of 2007. So... Uh, and then I, I started my first year of graduate school in 2008 at SFSU, and then I was out of that in 2012. So the first five years were kind of marked by moving here, acclimating, and then school. Mm-hmm. So when, when we spoke earlier, I guess I was, um, I, I thought you had done your undergraduate at San Francisco State as well. Where did you do your undergraduate? UC San Diego. UC San Diego. Yeah, okay. so I had um, a BA in theater with minors in lit writing and dance, and uh should have stayed on for a fifth year because they made dance into a major and that was a bummer I I should have just stayed but I was still in that mentality of like if you finish college in four years that makes you a good person or a better person or something like there's something about finishing college in four years that's really important that I like you know I really attuned to for whatever like these societal goals that I was trying to reach to make other people you know think I was a good or talented person or whatever I don't know I those certain milestones you know that concept is still so present in in college these days and you know it's so difficult with SFSU in particular so highly impacted I'm actually fairly lucky the journalism program is one of the only ones that isn't and even then I will not be graduating I'm as a transfer student I will not be graduating in two years right so it's a it's perennial problem but you can't you just can't get all your classes it's it's like impossible to get the I mean, because you're also a real person. You have to figure out a schedule that works with your life. And I mean, the concept of having an eight o'clock class a.m. just makes no sense to me. I, I don't understand why anybody could agree to that. Like, you have to wake up at six to get on the thing, to get yep. to the plate. Who, who is, what? I mean, why would you have a class at 8 a.m.? No one's ever going to go. No, that's exactly it. I, I, mean, I had an 8 a.m. this morning and for the first, and it's a long class, and for the first hour, there was a... Uh, only about five people in, and then they start trickling in. It's right. just not realistic. It's just not realistic. Yeah, it's the same thing they do. I used to teach high school, and um, my I had to be at school. Class was supposed to start at seven fifteen a.m., and I'm like, I'm dealing with high school special education boys. Why would you make them be there at seven fifteen? It makes no sense. Why not have school that starts at nine when high schoolers can actually like kind of be awake it just it, it was a waste of time for all of us and uh yeah I didn't want to be there that early either how did you get into teaching and in, in after that special education well um after I graduated from college I 
it was like my last year at college and I didn't my my now ex-husband but um at the time he graduated a year earlier than me and he went to Davis for veterinary school and so during my senior year I was like you know do I want to go to Davis to be with him do I want to stay here what do I want to do after I graduate and so I um like most decisions in my life I let other people make them so I I applied to teaching credential school at Davis and I was like well if I get into the program I guess I'm supposed to be a teacher and I should move to Davis and if I don't get in then I'll just stay in San Diego and I, I got into the program so I was like oh well I guess I'm supposed to but you know with a BA in theater what are you going to do with your life honestly like I thought well I'll go get a teaching credential because what else am I going to do like I mean because I, I did theater and I considered like I mean I've, and I've done theater even when I was teaching school I, I did theater for a while and after I quit teaching I still did teaching in theater and I owned a theater company and all this other th- stuff but what do you do with a BA in theater what do you do with an art degree it's the same thing with my, my two master's degrees I'm a stupid person I spent all this money getting two useless degrees so now I have three useless degrees I have uh, you know a BA in theater uh, I have and my teaching credential that's another degree that actually has value I suppose but then I have I have a master's in fiction and a, an MFA in poetry like well who the, who the fuck do I think I am right like I'm in a well I don't know so I have this really extensive art background and there's just no monetary gain in the arts so it's when you made this out of it right well but there's no monetary gain here there's no it's not it's great I have I have a job that I love and I get to do what I want to do but I mean I'm getting like the time I mean it's I scrape by and I've you know and I have to I have to use my artist stipends that the government graciously gives me Um, can you talk a little bit more about that yeah food stamps and Medi-Cal are the best artist stipends in the world I don't have to pay for I'm so poor. <laughs> How poor are you that I don't have to pay for insurance? I mean, I wouldn't be able to have any. I just can't afford insurance. I and it, but I'm an artist. That's the thing. So I'm. I feel like look, I'm contributing to the community in all these different ways, and I appreciate that the government takes care of me enough so that I can continue work that I find important even though it's not monetarily valued by our society. It's just, art just isn't. Everyone, there's no money in radio. <laughs> just, even in like real radio, there's no money in radio. I look at KQED, look at NPR. They're constantly asking for money. Every day. Every day. Every day. So, and, and they're, and what a great news outlet. So, mm-hmm. but there's, so I get, and when I first got on food stamps, people, a lot of people were like, there is a lot of stigma about food stamps I think but the way I justify it honestly is that you know if if all of our labor was equitable then we wouldn't we wouldn't everybody would be so like for example moms don't have social security they don't get paid anything you can pay your nanny but you can't pay your wife right mm. you can pay your nanny and they can pay into social security and all these kinds of things but if you're a mom and you're just taking care of your kids your actual labor has no value in our country doesn't even get social security it's nothing it's not recognized as labor even though someone else can do it in its labor but if you do it yourself then it's not labor it's so weird that parenting isn't like considered a job yeah. Um, and then the why aren't teachers getting paid the same as lawyers? It, it, all these kinds of things. Like you can your teachers who teach you how to be a lawyer don't get paid as much as the lawyers once they come out. 
it's just funny. Education for me is just such a weird why we don't value it. Do you, I understand your work here, you, when a new DJ comes on, you teach them how to work the boards, you teach them how to set up a program. Not only that, you work the bo- with the Boys and Girls Club just down the street. Right, giving yeah. Giving them an outlet uh, to share their opinions and voices and, and teach them how to, to work the board as well. Right. Do you still consider yourself a teacher? Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a teacher. I'm like an, an educator, but I think we all are in lots of capacities in our lives. You have the opportunity to educate people. Um, maybe some people, well, we all do. Cause even, you know, you can even teach social skills on the bus. You know, if a, if a junior hire starts using the N word and swearing and being loud, instead of just ignoring it, you can be like a social teacher and give them the stink eye or say, Hey, I really don't appreciate that language in public. If you could curb that. And they might say, you know, F you, who do you think you are? But it's like, I'm a member of society too, and it's my opportunity to help you be a better person, you know? I I don't know. Um, But yeah, I consider myself an educator. I have the kids once a week and um, trying to help them express themselves um, through this particular medium. And also, they they love running the board, and it gives them some ownership over, like, what they're sonically giving to the world. Uh, and their perspective and it's interesting whenever they just even talk with the microphones on these junior hires are dealing with some weird life issues and it's funny to be a fly on the wall as to what they think's important it's weird i sat in just for that that one that one session before and it was just fascinating but they the they worked the mic so well. They they set up a program. They did uh, movie reviews that day. Yeah. Um. So you can certainly see they're interested. And they they make progress. So yeah. You're certainly working with them in that regard. They're good and they're good kids. Um. Yeah. I, I think all kids are good kids, even though they sometimes they talk about these fights. I'm like, how much violence is there at school? Like, and they talk about fights all the time. And I'm like, girls? And they're like, yeah, they pull hair and they fight and it's like a thing and 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 they record it on their iPhones and Mm. it's like this it's weird journalism it's like everyone's a journalist now kind of but then we don't teach the critical skills involved to be a journalist I mean you're obviously learning there's a lot of critical thinking in journalism and just giving your perspective isn't necessarily journalism unless you hit both sides equally and it used to be that you couldn't put anything on TV with having without having both sides yeah. equally represented, the and now the Telecommunications Act of 1966 did, six did away with that, or 1996, pardon me, did away with that. So that Fox News can be, so that people can just give their perspective and call it news. So it changes the idea of journalism in that where's the non-biased perspective in reporting what's going on? I mean, but I guess we all have constant bias, and that's one thing we're working on now. It's it's funny now. We're talking about journalism. Um, one thing our program is working with is that unconscious bias that is nearly impossible to remove whether you like it or not. And previous schools of journalism in the past would work to, my father was a journalist as well, to say, I am unbiased, I, I can remove it. But re- and realistically, we cannot. So it's better to identify our biases rather than try to ignore them so we can lens the truth through different perspectives. Right. So being able to identify that is something new journalism is, I think, focusing on and getting better and being honest with themselves. So I think we're moving forward in that regard. Right. Oh, racism. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the piece about everyone being a journalist, it's so true. I covered um, what they're calling the Battle of Berkeley. Oh, um, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, 
Oh, I, the Breitbart guy, the Yiannopoulos. Yeah, it was actually uh, the protest immediately after that um, when, when the Black Bloc, uh, which is not a group, it's it's a method of protest, and Antifa within that, which is a group, uh, were going against the pro-Trumpers at uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, park in, in Berkeley, and they would many fights broke out. It was a very violent event, and they would just be ringed with cameras. Oh, no. Every, you know, it was like the most surreal oh. thing you could see. Just these really violent, bloody fights, pepper spray going, like homemade flashbangs, um, military-grade smoke smoke bombs, and the whole time, every single person had their own little camera, and you never know what slant they're going to put on it. Right. Every, and everyone's everyone's a journalist. Yeah. Well, now, and we're taught now to, like, not watch, like, if you're in a situation like that, wouldn't you want to be present and be there instead of watching it from a tiny screen behind? It's almost like once you're behind the camera, it lends some measure of safety because it's, it's like you disassociate yourself from you being there because you're watching what's happening on a screen even though you're actually there. Mm -hmm. It's just weird. It removes you from it. And I remember, you know, I have to do it. I, I, uh, I was getting some footage and it got picked up by some organizations. I was very lucky, but when you're doing it, it removes you from the situation. And it's a common problem with, with combat phot photographers oh. in particular, because they're always looking through their viewfinder. They're, they're trying to get, you know, a meaningful photograph. Right. And they're in a war zone, but they forget. It's the disassociative yeah. nature of, of the lens. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool um, stuff. Back to you. Yeah. 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 Sorry about you. that. No worries. Um, <laughs> So, walk me through. We were we were talking about education. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we stopped off at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about your work specifically with the special education and your yeah, experience with sure. That? I um, so I got my teaching credential. Uh, and well, I didn't actually get my full teaching credential because I I dropped out of school like three weeks early because regular education kids are horrible. I was student teaching at Elk Grove High oh, School yeah. and. I was 21 years old at the time because I was just really young when I graduated from college and I was in this credential program and they had me teaching uh, high school, uh, senior high English, but it was a block schedule and it was second spring semester. So I'm teaching 18 year old and they were all like the cheerleaders and the football players. And I'm trying to teach this block schedule. All of them wanted to graduate. None of them wanted to be there. My, my, master teacher thought I was so capable that she was just never there. So I'm doing that and I'm just, it was so difficult. And then I was also directing the school play and then I was also teaching this drama class all at the same time and going to school full time. So needless to say, I lost my shit. But I got up, there was this one day where I was in a drama class and the kids were just being terrible. And I said, and it was a new thing about, it was a new behavior management strategy. And I said, Hey everybody, let's just start over. I'm going to send all of you outside and you're going to come in again. And we're just going to start fresh for this class. And everyone goes outside, but none of them came, not none of them came back in five came back in. So I said, all right, pull out a piece of paper. I'm going to do a pop quiz. It's worth 150,000 points <laughs> or whatever. I made it some crazy number. And I said, sign your name at the top. And I had them write like one sentence and I go, hey, you guys all passed. Everyone else just failed this. And it's going to be really difficult for them. So then they start filtering back in and they're like, you did what, blah, blah, blah. And then they all start like, and the question is, where is my master teacher, right? And so they're yelling. So I just get up on the desk finally. I, I, one of them is like yelling at me or something. And I said, I'm going to, uh, another thing they told us, they said, there's a phone in the classroom, call their parents. 
So I call the parent and then the parent starts yelling at me. So the parents are yelling at me on the phone. The kids are yelling at me. There's no master teacher in the room. I jump up on the desk and I'm like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. I'm out. I'm like, you guys suck. You are all the worst humans ever in the world. I'm a 21 year old girl. I am working my ass off. And I just went through the whole rundown and I just yell at them. I'm all, you're all horrible human beings, terrible individuals. I hope you all fail with the rest of your lives because I'm quitting teaching right now. I pick up the phone. I call up my master teacher and I'm like, your program is for shit. Fuck you all. I quit. And I'm like, you guys, that was my master teacher on the phone. I quit college right now because of all of you, all of you. I quit college. I'm quitting credential. I'm never going to teach again because of you. And I got out the fuck out of the fuck out of there. Went and talked to the principal. I said, I'm abandoning my class. I'm quitting. I'm done. Bye. And I left, I left the school and I called the blader and I'm like, no, I'm really quitting. And they're like, really? You really want to quit? I'm like, yep. And I took like three weeks of laying by the pool and reading a bunch of plays. And then my mother, my soon to be mother-in-law said, why don't you start substitute teaching for special ed? And I was like, that's not a bad idea. So I got, I started substituting for special ed and within six weeks I got hired as a full-time teacher. They gave me a credential because there weren't enough teachers doing special ed, but I got in this emotionally disturbed, I taught, used to be SED in the day. I was severely emotionally disturbed students, but then they dropped the S because emotionally disturbed, like there's no stigma there. Anyways, so they're emotionally disturbed students, students with emotional disturbance. And within six weeks I had a full-time job and they gave me a credential. So all I had to do was take six units a year toward a master's degree and they'd continue my credential. And I had it for four years and it was fine. But I got into special ed because regular ed kids are piles of entitled shit. If their parents care too much, then whatever you do, they're never going to be happy because they want an A instead of an A minus and their parents are right up in your grill. If their parents don't care, then they're assholes and they don't give a fuck. So you're screwed either way. If they care, you're screwed. If they don't care, you're screwed. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And they're all entitled little assholes. They all think that they're special little snowflakes because their parents taught them, oh, you're so special. But at least special ed, it's like you are special. You're actually really different. And I can, I, it was much easier to deal with because it was just, and much, some people would say, oh no, special ed, emotionally disturbed. That's way harder. And I was like, this is so easy. <laughs> so I did it for four years and I was pretty good at it. What made um, it so easy? Uh, because it's like teaching second grade, except with high school students. So they, hmm. you get to teach all the core curriculum from everywhere. So it's like you're teaching history, math, science, the whole thing. And you get to make up sort of your own curriculum because none of them fit into the regular scheme. Like there was a lot of freedom. No one ever came in my classroom. I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And so I got to have my own. And people were like, oh my God, no one's getting suspended. We love this teacher. Like it was, <laughs> they didn't care what I did as long as no one got suspended and there weren't any problems in other classes and every, all the parents seemed happy. Um, but it was great because I, I, I had an unusual teaching style that just meshed well with kids with OCD, ADHD, we got into autism in later years. That got to be real popular. Um, what made your teaching style unusual? Um, well, I'd work with, I'd, I'd do group instruction even though they were all on total different learning levels and I'd like pair them up, do a lot of like, a lot of, a lot of peer working together, a lot of, um, a lot of physical activity in the classroom. I wouldn't have a problem with them getting up and moving around. I came up with this really weird monetary system for behavior management where the day was broken up into 10 
periods of time, each section was worth 10 points. Each point was worth 10 cents. So you could make $10 a day. And we worked into a checkbook system where they could write me checks. And like, if they wanted to play Nintendo for 15 minutes, they could write me a check for $100 and they could play Nintendo. And it'd be like, here you go, have fun. You need a break. Or if they didn't want to take a test, they could buy their way out of a test for $1,000. Hmm. So their behavior gave them access. Their good behavior gave them access to things that they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so it took the pressure off me. I, so I'd make them at the end of the period, we'd all sit down and go, all right, so what was your score? And they'd be like, eight. I'd say, why is an eight? Why not a 10? Well, I didn't raise my hand and I you know, threw that spitball or whatever and be like, all right, eight, sure, 80 cents. And then they'd put it in their checkbook at the end of the day and we'd total it all up. So it was like life skills and like actual life skills at the same time. And um, But you wouldn't do that in a regular classroom. You wouldn't. You'd assume that all of the high school students were able to control their own behavior and you just teach or whatever. Right. And this was more like the, the teaching part was sort of secondary to the behavior management and the sort of social changing that we were doing as a group. Did you have any, did you have a curriculum that, I mean, you said, it sounds like you set up your own program, but did they have certain goals that they had to accomplish? Kind of. Um, everything changed in 2001 with No Child Left Behind, which was one of the reasons that I left teaching was because I saw like the systematic calling of critical thought uh, during that George W. regime. So I quit teaching in 2001. But, but And people started coming into my classroom and trying to hold me accountable. And I'm like, all right, what do you want? Do you want them to pass this test or do you want them to not hit somebody in the hallway? Like, do you want to make them good people or do you want to make them know the definition of these words like they started really changing the curriculum but before that honestly there was they gave me really free reign like I knew what the core standards were but with special ed it just like there was a certain there was a kid who had ADHD so crazily that I set a timer and that when we first started the timer it was set for three minutes and he had to just do his work and not get up out of his seat for three minutes the ding would go off ding <gasps> great great job give him a sticker all right and then the next day you try five minutes and then the next week you try 10 minutes like these are kids that even if you tried to make them take a test they wouldn't probably let them use these coping mechanisms of timers like every 10 minutes they're a time ding and it'd be like all right you get to get up and walk around the classroom and it became a thing where like you know, eventually he could do 45 minutes, mm. which is amazing, which was amazing. But it still meant he was never going to pass the SAT because they don't let you do that. You don't get to stand up in the middle of a test and walk around every 45 minutes, mm. even though for that particular student, it was what they needed to be successful. You mentioned the, I like this, the the calling of critical thinking. Yeah. Can Ugh. you explain that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> From 2001 to 2008, we just decided in education that teaching to the test was the thing. And they based money off of what schools were going to get based off these tests. So we cut critical thinking. There's no more in language arts. It stopped being read this story. Let's identify and talk about the themes of humanity. It stopped being, it started being instead of what are the themes, it started being is the theme of this story man against man, man against nature, man against, you know, if they, instead of it being a conversation where the kids could read a story and empathize with characters and figure out what, how that affected their life or how to be a better human by making choices and decisions, you know, based off, like when you read, I mean, 
any of the any of the the pearl by um, Steinbeck, Steinbeck, right? So it's great. It's allegorical. What does it really mean? Like they can all read it. It's all very understandable. But what are the deeper meanings? What what is the accumulation of wealth, and how did that change his life? And do we see that as a good thing or a bad thing? That those kinds of discussions and writing thematically that all stopped and it became identify the large word you know like it became multiple choice test taking and preparing for that as opposed to preparing for life It, it depends what you think school is for if it's if the purpose of school is to teach small people how to jump through hoops and do things for no reason because they have to Like that's, I guess, one reason to have school because then they become good workers and unquestioning and you tell them to do it and they do it like the army or stuff. But you, I mean, I think critical thought is important to so many choices and it, it, our, our own sense of morality or sense of ethics. Like you can't even get into ethics if you don't understand critical thought, you know, like you ask kids, I mean, do they even teach ethics anymore? I guess in college? In college. So once you get to college, you should probably have some sense of what your personal ethics are. I, I don't know. But critical, it just sad to me because we, while you, you create, they created a great group of consumers by having them not question. And they, and, but they do, you get so much choice. And I think we've confused critical thought with the excess of choice, you know, Choosing between Pepsi, Coke, and Fanta is not a critical thought choice. It's a consumer choice, right? But we're like, that becomes a critical thought choice. Am I going to eat at McDonald's or Jack in the Box or, or in and out It's like almost an ethical question. I mean, it, it just becomes so stupid because... Yeah. So I think that our critical choice was replaced with this ma- consumerism on a mass scale. Okay. Um... Sorry if I, if I'm jumping all. No, over no, the place. it's good. I'm a I'm a I'm a social. I'm a Marxist. Oh. I'm a straight up Marxist. Um. So <laughs> after this event in 2001, you quit in 2001. I, I quit teaching. Yeah. Okay. What happened next? I opened up a theater company. Okay. So the, I continued teaching. Actually, I started this school called the Beacon Theater in 